Welcome to Seeing Eye to Eye, the show about innovation and integration. Why integration and innovation? Because we believe these are key skills for anyone on a path of continual progress, so you can create and successfully live a bold vision for a more meaningful future. We're your hosts, I'm Ash. And I'm Joya. Join us for conversations that are part entrepreneurial strategy, part philosophical discussion, and part personal development tools. If you are or aspire to be a high-performing and exponentially ambitious entrepreneur, thought leader, or creator, this show is for you. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Seeing Eye to Eye. This is episode one of what's uh, going to be hopefully the first of many seasons. We recorded a couple previous episodes that should already be in our feed that you can go back and listen to if you haven't yet that introduce the general idea of of the show uh, and the ideas of integration and innovation, what we mean by those and why those are important to help you live a full life. But what we want to talk about for the next several episodes this season and Uh, especially the idea we want to introduce today is how to live a full life in the 21st century. So let's start there with this idea of what, what is a full life? What do you, what does that mean to you, Joya? What, what is a full life in your mind? That's a great question. So when I think about a full life, I'm thinking about how does any given individual maximize their potential over the course of an entire human lifespan and live a life that is full of happiness. Everything from the spectrum of deep meaning to just the little daily joys and pleasures. So how do we do that? How do we maximize human potential? And I think there is an interesting challenge in the 21st century, but that's what we're going to get into here in this whole episode. We will get to that. But first, um, you know, kind of the way that a lot of people think about that now, the sort of conventional view, is this idea of work-life balance and that we should like try to figure out a way to to uh, balance these two kind of major domains of our life that, you know, work and personal life. And neither of us really think that that's a very helpful framework for looking at this issue. So, Tell me, tell me why why you think that's not an ideal uh, framework. I hate this phrase, work-life balance. I mean, just to begin, so the very phrase suggests that work and life are somehow separate and distinct, as though mm-hmm. these were completely discrete entities, and that it suggests that there's some sort of balance like a scale and we're trying to have 50% of life and 50% of work. I even heard someone refer to it that way once and I was just Uh (laughs) so appalled. Yeah. Mind blown. Um, Yeah. So not in a good way. Yeah. So, and when we, when we talked about this, when we were talking about this idea, uh, I had had mentioned, you know, I I like this other way of thinking about it better that I thought of uh, as work-life integration um, which you think is, is still kind of an issue, but let, you, you had mentioned to me that where you had heard that idea promoted before was actually by Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon. Uh, and I hadn't actually heard him talk about that, but I looked up this article, uh, this interview that he, he did 
where he talked about that. So I thought maybe that'd be a kind of a good way to to look at how these ideas, work-life balance and work-life integration, um, kind of compare and, and what he means by that. And then we can talk a little bit about you know what what the pros and cons of looking at it that way are and 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 maybe uh ways to think about it better um so yeah, do you have that quote maybe yeah. we can use that as our jumping off point here for the yeah, discussion so, mm -hmm. so this is from an article uh in business insider back in january of this year uh, 2019 and uh the, the title of the article actually is jeff bezos's advice to amazon employees is to stop aiming for work-life balance <laughs> here's what you should strive for instead Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that sounds pretty interesting. And here's, here's what he said, quote, this work-life harmony thing is what I try to teach young employees and actually senior executives at Amazon too, but especially the people coming in. I get asked about work-life balance all the time. And my view is that's a debilitating phrase because it implies there's a strict trade-off, which is kind of what you were just saying. Yes. Uh, and then the article goes on, instead of viewing work and life as a balancing act, Bezos said that it's more productive to view them as two integrated parts. Uh, so that sounds pretty good. And then Bezos says it's actually a circle, not, not a balance. Um, I think you and I would prefer to view it more as a spiral, but, uh, exactly. you know, as far as it goes, you know, it's, you know, he's not looking at it in terms of there's this kind of strict trade-off where it's like a zero sum kind of relationship between work and life. Uh, and then the article continues, Bezos said that the relationship between his work life and personal life is reciprocal, that he doesn't compartmentalize them into two competing time constraints. And then quotes him again, if I'm happy at home, I come into the office with tremendous energy. And if I'm happy at work, I come home with tremendous energy. Um, so yeah, I mean, that that sounds like an improvement over that kind of conventional work-life balance kind of view, but but it still kind of seems to be leaving something to be desired as from your perspective. So so what's the problem with with what Bezos seems to be talking about here in in with this idea of work-life integration? Well, I would agree with you. I think it's definitely better, but it's still not ideal. And especially now in the 21st century, because even as he's describing this model, he's saying he goes to work, then he comes home. I think this is a very traditional 20th century way of how we think about work, mm -hmm. that you have your home life and then you drive to a separate location. There's your office and you have your office life with your office colleagues and your office tasks. And then yeah. you come home to your family, your friends, your hobbies, your leisure time. And they're still but, separate. They're, and they're just still totally separate. separate buckets, even if they're not competing in this you know, strict uh, zero sum kind of way. But one of the most fascinating and interesting and I think wonderful things about the 21st century is this entire model of work and how it integrates into the rest of your life is completely changing. More and more people now have the opportunity to, as they say, hashtag work from wherever, have mm -hmm. this ability to work remotely. And so we need, I think, new models for how we actually think about how we spend our time and how we invest our energy, our effort, and how we do that in a way that actually maximizes our human potential. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and Bezos isn't maybe necessarily the best uh, model for how to do this the best way, considering, you know, since that article he's gone on to have like a very public divorce scandal and all that <laughs> sadly but uh 
you know, and, and there's different ways that you can do this. So, you know, how, exactly how to achieve this more integrated um, work and life. Uh, I don't, I, I want to avoid the word balance, but to, to have them, you know, have this kind of more, not just even the reciprocal relationship that Jeff Bezos is talking about, but, you know, just like a even more integrated perspective, you know, and, and there's some people who, you know, it's becoming more popular even to have your work and life integrated to the level of, you know, starting a business with your spouse or something and doing mm -hmm. that together. So you don't necessarily have to do that. That's one way of, of maybe achieving kind of a higher level of work-life integration. Some people can do that very successfully. Other people that's a challenge for, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but there's, there's other ways to do it as well. But I guess what, what you're trying to say or what, what I'm hearing you say is that you don't want to have these be wholly separate, even if it's not necessarily integrated in, in that uh, direct way. Right. Exactly. So a couple points here. So one, I think there's a lot of room for individual optionality for mm -hmm. any given individual human being. There's so many interesting ways that you could integrate your life. And I also want to say, I think it's about taking a broader perspective. And I think this is exactly where we're going to start going now throughout okay. the rest of this episode. But I want to say that it's a broader way of thinking about your time, your energy, your effort, and how you think about this in a more expansive way, and then figure out how to make integrations among all the different ways that you could be spending your effort and energy and time. Okay. And so part of this is not just integrating all of these different aspects of your life at any given point in time, uh, but kind of across the whole arc of your life. That right? is true too. So across time. And so, so there's this kind of, in addition to this work-life balance model, that's, well, how do you um, handle this situation at a given moment in time? There's also kind of this model of, well, how do you um, organize your life across this broad arc of time that uh, we also think is, is really problematic, especially going forward in, in the 21st century. So, so what, what is this standard arc of life model and, and why do you see that as, as not realistic anymore? Exactly. So, so when people are even talking about work-life balance, they're generally thinking about the day-to-day. -day. How do I think about dividing my time on a day-to-day -day basis? But you're right, there's also this question of how do I start thinking about and planning an entire life? And there is what I like to call the standard arc of life, a model that I believe developed in the 20th century and maybe to a certain extent made some sense in the 20th century, although I don't think it was mm -hmm. really ideal even then. But let's even just go over what the standard arc is. So the standard arc, as I see it, is this view that you're born, you go to school, elementary, middle, high school, then maybe you go to college, then you're done with your schooling, you get a job, you have a career, and you have just one career, maybe it's even just one company, you work that one career, one company for, say, 40 years, then you turn 65, you retire, maybe you vacation and golf, and then you die. And if you're that lucky. Was, if you're lucky. <laughs> and that was the standard arc of life. But as I said, I don't think that was ever the ideal. And mm. now in the 21st century, I don't think that model even makes sense anymore. 
Right. So maybe it made sense kind of from the perspective of, you know, kind of the broader economy in terms of how exactly. to organize the workforce, but it was never really optimal uh, at the individual level for a person to, to maximize their own uh, flourishing. And so now, I guess what we're seeing with these various trends going into the 21st century is that people are able to organize their own work life in ways that actually do allow them to uh, kind of optimize their own for their own personal values in addition to uh, the you know their their participation in in the broader economy. Uh, so that's kind of where we get into this question of the future of work. What what does that look like for you? Yeah. So this is a problem that I think we're facing globally that is now being called the future of work, the way that work is now changing in the 21st century. And there's three things here that I really want to talk about. So the first idea is what's often commonly referred to as the notion of the robots are coming to take our jobs. This idea of we're living in a time of increased automation and what this means for the global economy. And I want to make sure to say right here that I definitely do see that this is going to be a very disruptive era. In a certain to a certain extent, there will be real destruction of traditional jobs and traditional ways of thinking and planning about a life. But I want to say that I also see there is real opportunity. And I think the challenge here is how do we make the most of this opportunity? But I know you have some really great ideas and thoughts even about this idea of increasing automation. Sure. Well, first, you know, I guess I would just say I hope the robots take my job uh, and then maybe <laughs> I can, you know, do stuff like this for a new job. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, it's really remarkable the extent to which the different sectors of the economy are becoming increasingly automated through robotics and, and things like artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms and things. Um, and, you know, that trend shows every sign of continuing with, uh, you know, just the increasing sophistication of these robots and these uh, machine learning algorithms where they are just becoming increasingly generalized where they're able to integrate a broader range of tasks that they can perform. And I mean, you can, you know, go look at YouTube videos of some of like the, the robots in the Tesla factory or whatever, and the kinds of stuff they can do now. And it's an ast astonishing. Uh, and, you know, and, uh, you know, it's pretty well known now too, that uh, AI is able to perform a lot of tasks that not that many years ago were considered, you know, something that only humans could do ever, you know. Robots are coming to take and, lawyers' jobs too. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's already started, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think what's going to be even more disruptive, um, but also potentially create even more opportunity is the intersection of these technologies. When you have, you know, increasingly sophisticated general purpose robots being uh, controlled and, you know, governed by increasingly sophisticated general purpose uh, artificial intelligence, it's, you know, it's not going to be long before most of the tasks that have traditionally been considered the province of humans specifically are not going to be things that only we can do. And not just that, but, you know, like the, the AI robots will be able to do them better than us and they'll be able to do things that we couldn't do, you know, exactly. which is 
actually great because, you know, we can use them to actually create more value and, and actually make our own lives easier and, and more fulfilling mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. But uh, that, like you said, is in the meantime, like that transition is going to be very disruptive. There's going to be a lot of growing pains for a lot of people whose jobs are not going to be around for a lot longer. You know, yeah, we can talk about, you know, particular industries, you know, like self-driving cars are going to put a lot of truckers out of work and uh, Uber drivers and and trucking is a huge industry. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a lot of people. Um, What is, what, what is going to happen to those people and, and, and how should they deal with that? Like, how should people be thinking about this going forward in terms of, you know, because like you said, this old standard arc of life model, where it's like you just go to school and you train for one job and then you just do that indefinitely, that's not going to work anymore. So how should we be thinking about this? Exactly. So this even starts to get into what I think is the the second issue here with this Mm -hmm. question of the future of work, which is this rapidly accelerating rate of change. So even just the model of education is going to need to change. And I mean, this this could be even a, a whole episode or maybe season unto itself. Maybe we should uh, yeah. mark this one down. But definitely education as we know it is going to change because this standard arc that suggests that you could go to school for four to six years post high school and learn everything you need to know and then just be able to coast with a job for the next 40 years or so with that given education, that is just not going to work anymore. And you're absolutely right. There's going to be this whole question of for, let's say, that truck driver or the Uber driver or even that lawyer where the robot is going to come take their job. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with your time, your life, your energy, your effort? How are you going to live on a day-to-day basis and over your life as a whole? So I think we're definitely going to need a new way of thinking about this. And this is just more of what we're we're going to talk about. But did you want to say something more about this too? Because I think you had some thoughts you wanted to share about the accelerating rate of change that we're going to see. And how oh. education is going to be disrupted. Um, <laughs> like you said, those are those are huge topics in and of themselves. So I uh, I don't know how far we want to get into those, but um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's like all kinds of new educational models that could relate to to this, and and I definitely do think that um, the rate of change itself is accelerating. Um, and so, like you mentioned, you know, the the jobs that when somebody goes to school now, I mean, if if you uh, go to school to become a lawyer, by the time you finish your law degree, uh, you, you know, like the law clerking jobs that you traditionally would have maybe gone on to get coming out of law school, like aren't going to be around anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and even if, you know, you manage to get into like a profession that is, hasn't been disrupted as much by these trends yet, um, odds are pretty good that many, many of these different kinds of jobs are going to be obsolete before the time you retire. And and I think that's exacerbated even by going into, I think, the next point that we wanted to talk about, the the biotechnological advances and things that are making it so that um, people are going to be living longer and and potentially working longer because, you know, not only the quantity, but the quality of life is is going to be increasing. But it also means, 
yeah, like you can't expect to just be able to retire at 65 and, and then live on your retirement savings until you die because you could be living a lot longer than you anticipated. I mean, it's like you could still have decades of, of life at that point. Um, yeah, so this biotechnology question is, I think, the third point. The fact that yeah. all the studies suggest that human beings are already living and going to be even more so living longer, healthier, more robust lives. I mean, there's certain predictions that say, right, that if you live long enough now, you'll be able to live forever. Right. Ray Kurzweil wrote a book. Exactly. Called, called exactly that. Exactly yeah. that. Um, but even if you don't get to live forever, all the studies and statistics suggest that most people will be living longer and yeah. living healthier, robust lives way past their 60s. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of goes against the, the common sense wisdom that, you know, that people accept on this, where, you know, even though people say like, okay, yeah, in the 20th century, life expectancies increased a lot, um, you know, mainly due to, you know, kind of just general healthcare infrastructural advances and, you know, sanitation and germ theory and, you know, decrease in infant mortality and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but, you know, like most of those advances we've already seen and, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of plateaued and we're not really going to see the same kind of increases that we've seen in the past, but actually that's not true. Uh, so, you know, I was kind of looking up some of the statistics on this while we were uh, preparing for this mm -hmm. show and uh, the the World Health Organization life expectancy uh, trends, they actually have a graph that for their most recent data that showed that global average life expectancy increased by five and a half years between 2000 and 2016, which is the fastest increase since the 1960s. So not only is life expectancy still increasing, it's doing so at an accelerating rate. Exactly. Uh, and you know, who, it's it may be difficult to predict if that's going to continue indefinitely. You know, I mean, nothing continues indefinitely, but uh, you know, for the time being, how long that that trend can continue. But at least for now, you know, like even some of the more conservative studies that that we've looked at, um, you know, that like there's there's another study that was done by uh, researchers from Imperial College London in collaboration with the World Health Organization that showed that uh, average life expectancy will increase globally by 2030 um, of a, at least 65% for women and 85% for men. And again, a lot of these increases are gonna be uh, larger for, for countries that are you know, just kind of catching up to the you know, more industrialized countries already. Um, so, so a lot of those gains are kind of disproportionately for you know, the countries that you know, are only more recently developing. So in places like India and Africa and things, but, you know, they are still increasing significantly even, you know, in America, which is actually still lagging behind places like Canada and most of Western Europe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, But I think definitely... the big takeaway, yeah, mm -hmm. the big takeaway, though, is even that even these conservative statistics show this overall trend, which is people living longer, healthier, robust lives way past 65. So what are you going to do with your time, with your life, with your energy when you're 65 and you are not ready to retire, when you need yeah. a purpose and a reason to get out of bed in the morning? 
So this is part of just how we need new models and new ways of thinking about work and life. Yes, exactly. It's just one more reason why that kind of standard model of the arc of life is is just no longer valid. It's uh, become obsolete. Um, so where do we go from here then? How, how do, is, is there a place that we can look to for a better model for the future, given these trends and, and uh, things that we've discussed? So in my thinking, I've taken inspiration even from the past and specifically mm-hmm. the Renaissance era and the concept of the Renaissance man. And I love you're even wearing your Leonardo shirt today. Yeah. Is that in honor of our idea of thinking about being a Renaissance man or woman? Uh, I actually like to call this the Renaissance human project. And, and really, I think of it as the 21st century Renaissance human project. Because I think in order to thrive in the 21st century, What we need to do is start to have a broader vision of our potentials, of the skills that we can learn over a human life, the areas that we can start to develop our skills in, start Mm -hmm. to produce value in, and think about ways that we spend our effort, our energy, our life, and create value for ourselves and the world. Okay, so basically, we can kind of look back to this model of the the Renaissance man or Renaissance human uh, going forward in the 21st century to to draw inspiration, to figure out a a better way to integrate these different basic aspects of our lives, uh, both at a given time and across time over the course of a lifetime. Yes. and so, so you actually wrote an article about this, about introducing the, the 21st century Renaissance human project. And, and you had uh, broken it down into these, these several aspects of, of life that, you know, kind of like the traditional Renaissance man or, you know, hopefully the new 21st century Renaissance human person uh, should be integrating going forward. And uh, so that's what we want to talk about for the rest of this season is kind of look at each of these different aspects. But uh, for the rest of today... Uh, you just want to, do we want to introduce each of these aspects and then kind of just give a little, a little teaser? I love that. So let me just okay. say, so I, I'm calling this the 21st century Renaissance human project because mm-hmm. I do see it as a project. I personally am even just beginning to develop these ideas. As you said, I've already had one article published in Thrive Global, but even since that article, I've been developing the ideas even more, and I think that's only going to continue more so. And I want to say that one of the reasons I think we both even wanted to focus a whole season on this idea for the podcast is because we want to bring in ideas and feedback from other people. Mm -hmm. This really is a project where I think lots of people can get involved and help to start to solve this problem of how do we solve the problem of the future of work and how might this idea of expanding your capacities in a kind of Renaissance human model allow you to thrive in the 21st century with all of its disruptions so yeah so let's just lay out we have 
now eight basic areas. And yeah. as you were saying, we're going to ultimately have an episode for each of these areas so we can go in depth into each one of them. But let's just lay them out here so that people have a sense of essentially an outline so that people okay. know what we're going to be doing for the rest of the season. Yeah. And so before you dive in with the first one there, I just wanted to say, so actually the title of your article was how to be a Renaissance man or woman in the 21st century. And then the subtitle why being a polymath is vital for the future of work. And so for people who uh, kind of want to dive into that a little bit more before we actually start exploring these ideas even more in more depth in the future episodes, uh, we'll put a link to that article in the show notes for this this episode. Um, but so yeah, go ahead and tell us what what's the first aspect that you want to focus on? So I want to say, so I, in my thinking on this, at least now, mm -hmm. <laughs> I've divided it up into eight different areas and ultimately all the areas do integrate and spiral back on each other and that's part of what we'll be exploring right. throughout the rest of this season and i want to say too that for each of these areas i'm thinking about them in a very broad sense often not the stereotypical sense which is why it even makes sense to spend perhaps an entire episode teasing out some of the details of what each of these areas are and why I think each of these areas does apply to every single human being. So no matter who you are and what you may currently think about your own potential or limitations, that I do believe that in some way, shape or form, everybody can have each of these roles or areas in their life and everybody ought to develop their skills in each of these roles or areas. So okay. the first role is entrepreneur. So do you want to say even kind of how we're talking about entrepreneur? All right. So I'm just uh, going to take these descriptions from uh, how you had them, uh, the way you define them in your, your article introducing this mm -hmm. project. So the entrepreneur is being an entrepreneur is taking an active role to start up a long-term project, whether a business venture, a social organization, a community initiative, or a personal project, being mission-driven and results-oriented. You want right. to expand on that? Yeah, so this is even perhaps a broader idea of entrepreneur than we normally think of. I think some people, even when they hear the word entrepreneur, they automatically think of Silicon Valley and yeah, tech, tech startup. Life. Exactly, but this is even just more broadly speaking, the idea of a startup project, something that you start up and bring into being, something that never existed before right. and, it and is even, now new. And yeah. But the two characteristics that I think are important even to doing it well are to be mission-driven and results-oriented. But okay. we'll get more into that. That's sort of, I guess, the teaser for our very next episode. So if you're curious and intrigued, Definitely you want to tune in for the next episode all about yeah. the role of the entrepreneur. Yeah. And I would just add, um, you know, the, with this broad uh, definition that you're using, it's, you know, not that you have to start your own business or nonprofit organization <laughs> or, it, you know, it could just be a meetup group for reading children's books or something, you know, or uh, it could be a project you starting start a up podcast. In your, it like could be a project you here. start up in your backyard, like starting up a garden in your backyard or learning skills with baking, or maybe you belong to your PTA or a local community organization and you're going to start up a new fundraising drive, but starting yeah. up a new project and having it be both, uh, mission-driven and results-oriented. Yeah, and having those two aspects of it, I think 
you know, are, are important for it being, you know, these are the kinds of projects that could potentially lead to something that you could turn into, uh, you know, potentially a business or something that, you know, would have like a financial return or something, but it doesn't necessarily have to lead to that, right? Right. We're going to talk about value broadly. So that could include financial value, but it could just be some element of personal value that it brings to your life. But let's get to the next role. So the okay. next role is athlete. All right. An athlete, being an athlete is pursuing physical fitness and health regimens for strength, endurance, adaptation, longevity, and vitality. So really, I think there are three things here that we're going to look at. It's all about nutrition, movement, and recovery, and why we each need to focus on these elements of our physical health and well-being in order to live and thrive. Right. And you've worked as a yoga coach, so this is something that's uh, definitely right in your wheelhouse. So I'm sure you'll have a lot of uh, insight to bring to that. But you too, you have just an inspiring personal story of <laughs> overcoming and dealing with chronic illness. So I know you have a lot that you're going to want to share on this topic too. Yeah, for sure. All right. So what's the next one? The next one is even the, the newest aspect that I realized was missing when I was first even thinking about this, but is definitely a role that ought to be included. And I'm calling this the financier. All right. Financier. Uh, being a financier is producing material values to generate income and planning and making investments for a future of greater abundance. So this is kind of the financial aspect of your life. So Right. And here I think there's two important concepts. It's about producing and producing mm -hmm. the material values you need for your life and also being an investor and thinking about how you invest with an abundance mindset for the future of your life. Okay, yeah, so it's uh, both providing for your, your current needs and mm -hmm. also planning for the future so that you're constantly increasing your ability to, to put yourself in a better position to meet those needs on an ongoing basis and, and in an even, uh, in a, a even more general way. So yeah, so let's get to the It's also a French pastry we discovered when we were uh, <laughs> looking up the definition. Yeah, for that is not the financier we're going to talk about, although maybe there is a way to, to integrate and tie in the yes. concept of pastry with your financial life. Okay. Let's get on to the fourth rule. Now, the fourth rule, I have to say, I still do not have a good name for this. So one of the things that I definitely want some feedback from our community on is help me come up with a better name for this role. But right now I'm just calling it relationship maker. All right. So being a relationship maker is investing in cultivating healthy relationships, building intimacy and sharing values as a partner, family member and friend. And uh, yeah, it seems like most of these you have kind of like two parts of them that you're highlighting as, as kind of the keys in, in that role. So here you got intimacy and shared values. Yes. And the interesting thing is that for this particular role, I think generally as a culture, we actually do, most people really do understand the value of this role. I think it's even mm -hmm. one of the ways we've improved as a culture, even over the 20th century and into the 21st century. I think more and more people understand now how a good relationship is work and it requires your best energy and effort and that it's such an important aspect of your life to spend yeah. that quality time, to have intimacy and to have 
truly deep shared values and experiences of sharing your values with a few select others. Yeah, and I guess uh, related to that being kind of maybe one of the more widely recognized uh, parts of life that's you know very central to living this kind of full life is you know that seems to be the, the aspect that we're talking about here that maps most closely onto the the life side of the work-life balance model mm-hmm. um, so so there is some recognition that that is a very key central part of your life and that but is we don't have something. a good name for it which yeah. is amazing to me I've, I've even asked a few other people already and nobody seems to have like What's the go-to name for this role, even though most people actually do make a point to prioritize it in their lives? It's interesting. And we do have terms for, you know, kind of smaller aspects of that role, you know, being a partner, a family member, a friend, and people, you know, do think about cultivating each of those Mm -hmm. individual parts Mm -hmm. of of their social life. Uh, but But there doesn't seem to be like a good single general abstract noun designating all of that as as a part of you know a general aspect of, of a flourishing life. So, yeah, that is interesting. So hopefully we can, with the help of our audience, come up with uh, something <laughs> really good for that. But uh, okay, so let's move on to the next one. So the next role I'm calling statesperson. Okay. Again, looking back to an older term of statesman, but I definitely think it applies no matter what gender you are. So I'm calling this statesperson. All right, and a statesperson is being a conscientious citizen taking a leadership role in politics, community affairs, cultural change, and or economics. So this is a very broad definition. Yes, and so this really is, so if relationship maker was about the intimate relationships that you cultivate in your life, there's also the way of how you think about how you relate to society more broadly. Mm -hmm. And I do want to suggest that everybody can and ought to take a leadership role in some capacity in terms of their community, whether that's thinking about your neighborhood or whether that's thinking about global movements of social change. Okay. Yeah, that should be an interesting uh, mm-hmm. episode to discuss that in more detail. Yeah. Um, so the next topic then, well, the next two I think kind of go together. It's artist and scientist. And it's curious to me mm-hmm. that even in the current culture that we live in, that there seems to be this great divide between the two. I mean, even the way that our colleges and universities are set up, you either get a Bachelor of Arts or a Bachelor of Science. And I hear from so many people where they say, well, I'm not artsy or I'm not a science person, but ultimately I do think everybody can and ought to be both an artist and a scientist. Yeah, and that's interesting. It reminds me of a there's a famous quote by Steve Jobs. Hopefully, I can get it right off the top of my head because I don't have it here. But he said something along the lines of, "Innovation happens at the crossroads of art and technology." Yes. And and te- by technology, there he's you know kind of talking about applied science. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, so there is some kind of increasing recognition of that you know through figures like him. Uh, and, you know, and this, you know, kind of goes back to the ties into the whole Renaissance uh, model that we're looking at here, because, you know, you look at, at somebody like Leonardo da Vinci, uh, mm-hmm. who obviously was an artist, both an artist and a scientist. And to and him, thoroughly those were, integrated those right. two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those were kind of both inseparable aspects of, of his life's work. Um, but and I absolutely do think that's a model we should all live up to. Yeah. But do you want to even just and I definitely agree. 
But yeah, but we are going to separate the definitions <laughs> of, of artist and then scientist. <laughs> yeah, so we are still going to separate them out for kind of individual analysis as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting with with the artist, uh, being an artist is creating outlets for self-expression, being present and developing a refined enjoyment of sensory experiences, and or ultimately projecting your unique world model through a symbolic form. So when I think of the arts, I actually think of <laughs> three things. Oh, yeah, get your glass of water. But I always think of it as the three S's. So art is all about self-expression. It's about sensory experience. And it's about symbolism. But we will get into more detail with that in that episode, all about the artist. Yeah. Uh, so it is interesting to me. We, we kind of went back and forth on, on the order of the artists and the scientists in, in this model. Um, and like you said, you know, there's not necessarily any one right order here, but there is, you know, does seem to be seem to be some sort of hierarchical um, development to some extent going on here. But with the artist and the scientist, it's, you know, the artist is projecting your unique world model, and the scientist is is kind of creating or discovering knowledge that you have to. So in a way, you think the scientist would come first because, like, you have to discover. Uh, the world around you before you can then go and kind of recreate it through artistic self-expression. Um, but also science seems to involve this more quantitative aspect that actually seems to have come after this sort of qualitative expression historically, you know, where, you know, early humans were already doing cave paintings, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, whereas science didn't really start until, you know, maybe sometime in ancient Greece a few thousand years ago. Um, so, I think this is the point that even though we are going to separate these for analysis, that in a real sense, they really aren't and never ought to be separable. Right. They're two sides of the same coin in a way. Exactly. And we are definitely going to be interested in how they integrate. But why don't you even share with us the idea of science that we're going to explore, the scientist's role? So being a scientist is developing skills in observation, research, and experimentation and participating in endeavors that create new knowledge. Okay, so yeah, I think that's something that everybody should be engaged <laughs> in for sure. You know, we both as a consumer of, you know, the, the scientific work that other people are doing, but also, uh, like you say, in uh, actually engaging in creating new knowledge. And I want to say, so I'm definitely one of these people where I was born and grew up in the 20th century, and I grew up on the mindset of I am an artist because it was always clear to me growing up that if there was any kind of division between these, that I was definitely on the artist track. So Mm -hmm. I was definitely into the performing arts. I was a writer. I went into English. And it's interesting because I even took calculus in high school, but got to this point where I realized, well, I'm not going to use this in college. What do I need to study calculus for? So it's interesting to me now that I'm in my late 30s, that it is more important to me to figure out, okay, how do I actually cultivate the role of the scientist more in my life? So this is the area that for me personally is the one that I feel I need to work on the most. And I'm super excited about exploring. Yeah. And I had pretty much the same, very similar background uh, with respect to that, where, yeah, I did calculus in high school and, but then, you know, went on to humanities degree in college um, and, and just pretty much put science off to the side, except, you know, I was interested in, in biology a little bit, but that was just kind of more as a hobby. And, 
and it wasn't really until more recently that I, I started really getting more interested in, in science more generally and, and technology and all that kind of thing. And is because I saw like how important it was actually, you know, in connection with with the more kind of humanitarian uh, values that I am interested in as well. Um, but you know, so so my major was in philosophy and it, it is really interesting like you mentioned even just the very way our college campuses are laid out you've got the college of humanities and the colleges of you know science and technology and whatever and you know that goes back to at least as far back as uh uh i want to say Descartes, but no david hume's uh is odd gap where <laughs> you know it's kind of like baked into the whole western philosophy project you know from the very early modern era that these are just not just separate things, but that they are necessarily separate and they can never, there's this gap, this unbridgeable divide. gap between them that can never be bridged. Um, so, but that kind of brings us to our, our final area that you exactly. talk about here. So the last area is the philosopher. Right. And the philosopher is asking the big questions about the nature of the universe, the good, and how you know and formulating a code of principles to guide your actions. Right, and so I do think that this is an area that we all ought to have in our lives. That moment where we step back and we think about the broad picture, these questions mm -hmm. of, I think it is metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics. What is the nature of the world that I'm living in? What is the nature of human beings in existence? How do I know it? And what is the good? What should I do? Right. And even just asking these kind of questions like we were just discussing about, well, why is there this divide between facts and values? Mm -hmm. Why is that true? How do we know that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, okay, so that's, uh, that's our now eight aspects that we're looking at now that we're going to be talking about each one individually for the next eight episodes after this mm -hmm. uh, that will take us most of the way through this season and then we'll kind of have another episode recapping and kind of trying to tie them all back together um, because you know yeah we want to analyze each of them but we do also want to keep in mind that these are all part of an integrated whole that is your life that's the whole point of this project is to say that these all form uh, one flourishing life. And, and that there are infinitely multiple ways that one could think about integrating all of these different roles. So even starting to explore just the many shapes and forms that this could actually take for an individual human being over the course of their life. Yeah, because, you know, you could take this in a way that we're saying, like, everybody has to be performing at a top level on all eight of these different aspects at any given time in your life. And that's not really what we're trying to say. So we actually want to make sure we um, address that and and mm -hmm. and uh, clarify what, we, what it is we are saying. Because when I actually originally shared your article with, with somebody um, a while back, I, I got the reaction I got, they came back with this criticism that isn't this kind of elitist? Isn't this model or approach that you're taking here? Isn't there, you know, yeah, that might be fine for, you know, rich Silicon Valley tycoons or whatever, like Elon Musk can have all of these different things in his life. But, you know, if you're just like struggling to get by and send your kids to school and make ends meet, how does this apply? 
Yeah, so I do want to say a couple of things to respond to that. So the first question I think to ask is even what does one mean by elitism? Mm -hmm. Is this a kind of privilege of money or health or talent or time? What exactly does one mean by elitism? But I do want to say that the whole point is that this is not something that we're necessarily thinking about in terms of a day-to-day basis. We're not necessarily suggesting that one needs to have all eight of these happening at any one given time in one's life, but it's a way of thinking about how to structure your life as a whole and thinking about it in terms of the possibilities that the 21st century is going to offer us, where we're going to have more leisure time, self-directed time, when we're going to need to think about how do I spend my time, how do I develop my skills, how do I do that over the course of a very long human life. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and of course you do still have to make ends meet. You still have to send your kids to school. You still have to do all of those things, but kind of what we're distinguishing the approach that, that we're advocating here from is, is that previous model of like, well, you just go to school and then you get, you have a career that you do your nine to five job for 40 years or whatever, and then you retire because, you know, you know, we obviously think that that going into the future, um, the, these changes that are happening are going to create more opportunity. But whether you like it or not, you know, and and there are going to be these growing pains, like that model just isn't going to work anymore. So, so yeah, you have to realistically speaking, you can't just uh, kind of take for granted that you're you're going to be able to just meet these kind of obligations that you have in your life the same way that you always have. So what we're trying to to look at here is, okay, so how can we do that better given the changes that are happening over, you know, potentially the, the rest of the 20th, 21st century, right? Exactly. And I do want to say, I want to express empathy for if someone is dealing with young children, aging parents, maybe this is not the time of life when you're gonna start to think about, oh, how do I suddenly need to add all of these eight things into my life? Mm -hmm. There's a a time perhaps and a season for all of these different aspects. But what we are talking about is thinking more broadly about the expanse of a life. And I do wanna add another point that one of the things I've observed even as a coach that I found very interesting is that Oftentimes I find when people have this sense of overwhelm, often it's because they haven't yet gotten clarity on a purpose, Mm. a major, I love the term massively transformative purpose. I know we had talked, I think even in the last episode about the book Bold by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler. Yes. Yes, there it is again. Um, And they have this concept of, MTP, your massively transformative purpose. And I do believe everyone ought to have a massively transformative purpose. And that once you have that as an organizing principle, that it can help give alignment to your life and help you even see how all eight of these different aspects and roles can integrate into what it is that you are doing over the course of your life. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, Could definitely relate to that. I, you know, as as I think we discussed before, I've I've had a long bout with 
chronic illness, which actually same issue that uh, Peter Diamandis' co-author on Bold, Stephen Kotler, had dealt with uh, Lyme disease and <clears throat> and um, for sure, like as, as I began to recover from that, this issue of finding better ways to manage my time and organize my life uh, was really important and, and really just like getting that clarity on what is really important to me because yeah, I mean, if, if you're somebody that's suffering with a really debilitating illness or something, yeah, you're not going to necessarily going to have the time and energy to really um, invest in all of these different aspects of your life. Uh, you know, at that time, you might just be having to kind of retrench and focus on your physical health, you know, kind of the athlete aspect um, and getting getting that on track and uh, and, you know, but still, even there, you know, there are several of these other aspects that really come in, you know, like a relationship maker. It's, you know, it's for people with health problems, like having a good support network is so important. Um, or, you know, even like the artist side, at least as a consumer, you know, like having something that's providing you with like spiritual fuel and motivation to like keep going and plugging through, like, because it, it can be, it can get really dark and, and hard at times. So, so we're not saying that, you know, like, this is something that everybody needs to be doing all the time, but like over the course of your life, that these are all important aspects um, to consider to living a full life. And uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I lost my train of thought there, but did you have anything else on that that you wanted to add? Just one more idea that with all these trends that we're seeing, what I think is happening is that in truth, we're all going to be living more elite lives mm -hmm. because there's going to be more leisure time, more opportunity to have access to resources and wealth. And we're already seeing these trends happening. I mean, sure. look at even just what the standard of life was even 50 years ago, let alone 150 years ago. There's already been such major improvement globally. And we're only seeing more and more of that. We're only seeing more and more people living elite lives. And then the yeah. question is, how do we make the most of it? Yeah. And especially for people, you know, lucky enough to be born in, in uh, you know, an advanced industrialized country like the United States or, you know, and again, more of the world is, is uh, uh, joining us on, you know, as catching up to us in many ways. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we are in a sense kind of the the one percent of all the people who have ever lived in terms of the, yes. the resources that we have available to us, both, you know, the knowledge resources, the wealth of knowledge and, and energy and, you know, even just at down to the level of food and kind of like basic survival necessities. Like it's so much easier for us to meet those needs than it ever has been before. So even, you know, for things like medical advances, like, yeah people still get sick, but, you know, now I can eventually <laughs> get a good diagnosis and get a treatment that like gets me back on my feet instead of just, you know, like with a disease as complex and controversial as Lyme disease, just, you know, like having a very mysterious malady and like just dying <laughs> eventually. Um, so yeah, in, in that sense, like there is an aspect to it that we all we all have the ability and the opportunity to take advantage of all of these resources that are available to us to live more elite lives than was ever possible before. So it's, 
for me, kind of the takeaway is it's not about where we are or where we end up. It's it's about the the path and the journey. And it's how do we uh, how do we think about our lives and organize them in such a way as to optimize um, our you know our own personal fulfillment and uh, and that of the people closest to us. And so it's yeah, we're not saying it's it's easy or that you know everybody is going to be able to do this to the same extent necessarily, but we think, I, I think, and I think you, you agree that this is something that can be uh, a beneficial way of, of looking at, at your life for anybody. And I want to say, I love to point out that I think the ultimate end is the journey. Mm. And one more point I want to make here too is also that I think we can take inspiration here again from the past. So if we even look at what happened during the post-industrial era, when industry made it so that people were having more leisure time than ever, one of the problems that arose from that was perhaps this sense of existential crisis, the, the philosophy of existentialism itself, but even this sense of people were losing their sense of purpose. And so one of the things I see is that the whole purpose of the 21st century Renaissance human project is to help people define and live with more purpose, with a mm -hmm. sense of purpose that takes advantage of everything that is happening right now in this era in which we live. And I do think that the end is ultimately the journey. Great. Yeah, I love that idea when you first told me that this kind of idea of this meta purpose of that the purpose of this project is to help people uh, live with live more purposefully create more purpose in their own lives. So yeah, I think that's uh, great. So that's maybe a good place to kind of wrap up this episode. So do we want to just talk now about our recommended resources for the week? Yeah, let's do our recommended All resources. Right. Yeah, this so is our segment of the show where we uh, kind of talk, uh, recommend a book or website, some, some kind of resource that relates to the topic that we have been exploring this week. If you want to kind of dig further into these ideas that we've been discussing. So what, what's your recommendation for the week, Joya? So I actually have two for this week. And the okay. first one I'm already showing, we, yeah. we were talking about, you have Leonardo on your shirt and as yeah. the epitome of the Renaissance human, I think we have to talk about Leonardo and there's just this, excellent recent biography about Leonardo da Vinci by Walter Isaacson. And I want to also say, so when I first got this book, I got the audiobook version. And then I definitely went and also got a physical copy of the book. And I definitely recommend the physical copy. This is just a beautiful book. The care and attention that went into all the, the artwork that he reproduces and shows you. And even just the the quality of the pages and of the ink and the type. It's, it's a beautiful book. So yes. it's a recommendation for the biography broadly and the physical book also itself. All right. And I, I guess before you give your second one, I just, I'll second that one because I, uh, I did the same thing. I listened to that on audio first. Uh, I think that came out October of 2017 and I, and then I, and that's, uh, my, my birthday is at the end of October. So I got that, uh, and then I got a copy of that book for my birthday and I, I couldn't agree more. It's just a beautiful book, both in terms of, you know, the, the 
conceptual content and Walter Isaacson's uh, uh, biography of Da Vinci's life and work is is just really masterful. I, he's one of my favorite writers and and biographers and historians. I think all of his books are just fantastic, but that one especially is just amazing. And and like you said, like just even you know the quality of the pages and the reproductions of his his. Uh, paintings and his notebook pages and everything are just fantastic so you know the audiobook was well done too but it's not the same as being able to actually look at the paintings that he's discussing and things so definitely second that recommendation so so what was your your second one so my second recommendation so i brought up stephen kotler who along with peter diamandis has come up with this concept of the massively transformative purpose mm -hmm. and i was actually able to take a really fascinating course with him that was based on a recent book that he's come out with called The Habit of Ferocity. And it turns out anybody can get a copy of this ebook for free. You just have to go to Stephen Kotler's website and we'll definitely give a link in the show notes, but it's Stephen with a V, S-T-E-V-E-N, Kotler, K-O-T-L-E-R.com. And the thing is, at least the way the website is set up now, you have to scroll all the way down to the very end, but it's well worth doing when you get to the bottom, you give your name and email address and you get a copy of his ebook, The Habit of Ferocity. And he leads you through this process of thinking about what could be your massively transformative purpose. That sounds awesome. I am, I'm also a Stephen Kotler fan. I read both of his books that he did with Peter Diamandis and, and the one he wrote on his own. Um, the, what was that one called? The, the, Rise, of the Rise of Superman. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, which is something we probably want to talk about later at all, where he mm -hmm. he's exploring the idea of flow in that book, which is very interesting. And I think that ties into this new ebook that you're recommending, maybe. Exactly. Um, all the I, habits I of peak performance that you need okay. so that you actually can live up to your full potential. Great. Yeah, because I, I haven't actually seen this ebook yet, though. So I, I that's definitely something I'm going to have to check out myself. Um, OK, do you yeah. want to tell us about your resource for the week? Sure. Yeah, so the, the one that I thought of uh, for this episode is a book called The Power of Full Engagement. Uh, I haven't heard of that book until you it, mentioned it to me. Yeah, it's just a, kind of a book that I randomly found at the library years ago. Um, and well, the, let me give you the subtitle too. So it's The Power of Full Engagement, Managing Energy, Not Time is the Key to High Performance and Personal Renewal. And it's by uh, Jim Layer, I think it's pronounced. It's L-O-E-H-R and uh, Tony Schwartz. And it's just one of the best books I've read, just kind of about, uh, you know, personal growth and development and self-help in general. Um, that just, it's it just does a really great job in terms of organizing, uh, the, the way the book is organized. It kind of starts sort of similar to how we're trying to organize the 21st century human project, but it's a uh, human renaissance, renaissance human project. <laughs> Sorry. Um, 21CRHP. That's right. the abbreviation I keep using. 21CRHP. Right, yeah, where it's kind of like difficult to figure out the best way, the best order to, to organize that and present these different aspects of life because there's this sort of spiral aspect to it. And, and that's kind of built into even the way they organize this book where they start out. Um, let me see up the table of contents here but it's they you know they start off with like you know your the physical aspects of your life and the uh geez sorry cannot find the table of contents but sorry they have like several pages of uh you know recommend like blurbs like uh 
people recommending the book, like which they have some pretty interesting ones. Josh Waitzkin, who wrote uh, The Art of Learning, Jeff, uh, Seth Godin, The Marketing Guy. Um, so pretty awesome book, but. Uh, but you're still, making the point I think, that, that they're, they're using this, this essentially the spiral approach where they right they start, start with like with, your physical aspects and then they're like you know and then how do you manage like your emotional life psychologically and then they kind of at the highest level kind of like what's your purpose and then in part two they kind of start at the top and and go back down and then and now that you've defined your purpose like how do you use that to do an even better job uh of managing these lower levels again so it's uh I found it extremely uh, useful and helpful. So that's definitely something that I recommend. I've got to go check this book out now. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So then you just want to talk about uh, what uh, to expect going forward here, like our, our release schedule here after episode one and, and, and our weekly challenge. Yes. So if you are listening to this episode, when it launches, it should be on a Tuesday. But we want to tell you that going forward, all of our next episodes will be coming out on a Thursday. So you can already anticipate and start to look for the episode about the entrepreneur role this coming Thursday. And then every other episode will be coming out Thursdays after that. And we also want to talk about we're going to have a weekly challenge for this podcast. And there is just one weekly challenge for this first launch week. So if you're listening to this on the Tuesday or Thursday when it's coming out, we definitely want you to come and get involved with the weekly challenge. Do you want to tell people what the weekly challenge is for this week? Uh, sure. So like we mentioned in episode zero, if you've heard that already, um, our challenge for this first week is just to join our Facebook group and uh, write a quick post or shoot a short video and introduce yourself. Let us know who you are, where you're from, what, what your current goals are, and why you're interested in uh hopefully being part of this conversation on innovation and integration that, that uh, we're trying to get rolling here. So, uh, so you'll actually have a little bit over a week for this challenge now, since we're releasing this on a Tuesday and, and uh, we won't uh, make that one do until episode, I guess that'll be episode three comes out a week from mm -hmm. this Thursday. Pretty um, much you have until Wednesday. So, so yeah, get that in between. Yeah, yeah. And then a do you want to. A little bit over a week. Right, and then we'll have a winner for people who participate in our weekly challenge. We'll have some kind of like weekly drawing and uh, have, a, have a bit of a prize to incentivize you to, uh, to, to participate. So do you want to tell us about the winner for this week's challenge? Yes, so for everybody who, who participates and gets their intro in by next week, Wednesday, 11.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, uh, we will draw one lucky winner. And this week's lucky winner will get a free coaching session with both Ash and myself together. So it's All definitely right. something that uh, is pretty special. Yeah, that should be fun. So we'll be looking forward to hopefully uh, hearing all of your introductions or and and then hopefully uh, getting to work with one of you a little bit more closely on on what your current goals are. So but yeah, in any case, definitely uh, join the Facebook group and and uh, let's uh, let's talk to each other about about these ideas and, and how to uh, use them to make our lives better. All right. Awesome. Do you have anything else you wanted to, to say to close here? I think that's it. Okay. All right. And we will talk to you all uh, this Thursday to talk about entrepreneurship. Yes. All right. Looking forward to that. See you then, Joy. Bye. See you okay. soon. Bye, everybody. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Seeing Eye to Eye. You can find and subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or via RSS. If you found value in this show, we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes or tell a friend who might be interested. Don't forget, you can also join the Seeing Eye to Eye podcast Facebook group to participate in the weekly challenge, ask questions, and add to our growing conversation. See you next time.